This message is brought to you by The Covenant Nation. All right, let's take a confession. One to go. As I said to listen to the word of God today, a door of utterance has been opened unto me, and I hear the voice of God clearly speaking to me. This is the way to go, walk ye in it. I listen under the influence of the Spirit of God, and I'm not distracted by anything or anyone. The Word of God is food to my spirit. I am strengthened by it this morning. It is wine to my heart, creating joy within me. It is oil to my face, causing my life to shine, giving me victory in everything that I do. As my eyes make contact with the scriptures used in this message, the Spirit of God opens new things to me. He also brings to my remembrance things Jesus once showed me. I come to understand God's system on the earth, and I receive instruction, encouragement, correction, and enablement to live out God's will. Amen. All right, uh, quickly, uh, let's go back to Exodus chapter 33 and verses 1 to 3. Uh, want to get in something and close this out today. All right, we've been speaking in the last few weeks about this. Please put up the scripture in Exodus 33, one here. And here we see that Moses sought to know the ways of God. And the Lord said unto Moses, depart and go up hence. Thou and this thy people which thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt, unto the land I swore unto Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, Unto thy seed will I give it. And in verse 2, God says, I will send an angel before thee, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And verse 3, it says, Unto a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in the midst of thee. And he said, It is because you are a stiff-necked people. In other words, you are a people that are not going to make any adjustments or take what is known as the education of the road. Once you have set your own mind thinking that this is the way certain things should happen, you are not going to make any adjustment concerning that you will rather question, this is what God is saying, that I, maybe I didn't answer the prayer. You will question my own integrity, question my own faithfulness first, before you accept that you just may have, all right, thought this thing wrongly in terms of the implementation. God says that what is going to happen, I will say this in this message, is that you will provoke me. He was telling Moses, the nature of these people will lead it to provocation. And he says they will get consumed, all right, by their own attitude. But Moses insisted and said, 
if you do not go up with us, we've got to find a way around this, in your infinite wisdom, I am not going anywhere. And then in verse 9, it goes on and says, verse 9 of Exodus, And it came to pass that Moses entered into the tabernacle, all right, to talk with God about it. And the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. And it tells us that, and all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose up and worshipped every man at his tent door. And verse 11, and the Lord spoke with Moses face to face. Now, God didn't have any problem. When they saw manifestation, they were right there worshipping. The problem he had was, when they don't see any manifestation, they go into rebellion. When they have a visible manifestation of God's presence, and it does something they can see, what happens is they will worship and start praising him. When it appears that God hasn't shown up physically, so to speak, within their environment, that worship will turn, all right, into resentment and into bitterness and, you know, wanting to even leave God completely. So God wasn't taken by that. It is what we do in the hard places that count, not what we do when it seems like things are working for us. It is easy to treat people right who have first treated you right and kindly. The real instruction is not how you treat those people, first and foremost, but how you treat people that don't treat you right. How you relate to people that despitefully use you. It says sinners will help those that have helped them. But it's only a Christian, all right, who is operating in agape love that will stretch out an opportunity that he knows can be life-changing to this individual. And as it were, it is, quote and unquote, the reward, all right, that he gives to this person even after the person has treated them wrong. And so it tells us, in, as we read on in Exodus 33 and verse 10 there, so he says in Exodus, and all those saw that and they worshipped, all right, verse 11, and the Lord spoke unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua and the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. The first thing I want to address is this face-to-face conversation. I think we talked about this two or three weeks ago, but let me reiterate that because we're closing this out. What is meant by a face-to-face conversation? In Numbers chapter 12 and verse 5, God qualified who gets that face-to-face conversation. Numbers 12 and verse 5. And the Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud and stood at the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forth. And he said, hear now my words, if there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision. And I will speak to him in a dream. My servant Moses is not so. And how did he qualify him? He says, who is faithful in all my house? He then said, with him will I speak. 
So he was talking about the level of communication or communion that you have. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches, and the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. And he says, wherefore then, were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Now, Moses also was a prophet. Because in Deuteronomy chapter 34 and verse 10, he talked about Moses being a prophet. All right? And there arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses whom the Lord knew face to face. So it wasn't just because he was a prophet. He was a prophet like Aaron. He was a prophet as he told, as he told Miriam, the prophet is there. That, look, you people are in an office. Moses also is there. But what qualifies him for this level of communion, even though he's a prophet like you, what moved him from dreams and visions and dark speeches to the place of mouth to mouth, and he is beholding my similitude, is because I have found him to be faithful in all of my house. In other words, we can all be born again Christians, but it's the person who is faithful in the house of God that will get that kind of depth of communion. Now, what is faithfulness in the house of God? It's not just that I'm running around in a church. It said in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, Wherefore, holy brethren, and partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. He says, Who was faithful to him that appointed him as also Moses was faithful in all his house. Verse 3, it says, For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he that built the house hath more honor than the house. Now, he's going to bring us in. For every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. And Moses was faithful. Goes again on that. In all his house as a servant... For a testimony of those things which are to be spoken after, but Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are. Now, this is where we are faithful. If we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of hope firm unto the end. Then he goes on. Verse 7. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost said today, if you will hear his voice, he says, Harden not your heart, as in the day of provocation, the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me and provoked me, that's what that means, and saw my works 40 years, wherefore I was grieved with that generation, for they do always err in their heart and have not known my ways, so I swore in my wrath that they shall not enter into my rest. So how do we come to that place of real communion with God? We come into that place of real communion with God when we show ourselves faithful unto him. And that faithfulness is proven when we find ourselves in difficult situations, which means God is taking us somewhere and he allows us to go through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, if you will hold fast your confidence 
In other words, your declaration, even though, all right, you can't see any way out, and your rejoicing in that hope firm unto the end, you will begin to hear the voice of God there, and you will begin to see the face or the shape of God. In other words, you will go to a deeper level of communion with God, and that deeper level of communion can only be gotten in a crisis. That's what we're saying, yeah. Which means you can't get that kind of level, all right, outside of that. It is in the very furnace there, when things didn't work out the way you thought they should work out, instead of provoking God by saying with your lips, is God really among me? Is he with me? But you understand he's my ever-present help in a time of need. Instead of saying that the Lord has forsaken, you say to him and sing that to him, you can never leave nor forsake me because I am engraving upon the palms of your hands. Your walls are continuously before me. That is where you will move from, I want to show you, it is written to I head. Look at Romans chapter 4. Let me just quickly show you on verse 11. I think Romans 4, 11. Let me quickly show here. And I'm sure this could be... All right. All right. Let's go to verse 13. Okay. It says... For the problem... Okay. Let's go to verse 15. It says... Uh, what is for 17. Go to 17. All right. As it is written, I have made a father of many nations... Before whom he believed, even God, who quickened the dead, who called those things which be not as though they were. Verse 18. That who against hope believed in hope. That's against something. He still believed in it. He held fast his confidence and rejoiced of hope. That he might become a father of many nations according to that which was spoken. One was written, the other was what? Spoken. When God spoke to him, he gave him the method on how what was written will come to pass. So, if a person doesn't go there, all right, anybody, that's what we're saying, outside of a crisis, will worship God, will sing, God of miracles, and sing all of that, but once the rubber hits the road, then that's where the distinction comes. And God said, look, I don't want, all right, you just want to worship me because they can see my manifest glory. Now, let's get into the hard places. Let's see whether they worship. All right? Now, in John chapter 5 and verse 35, we'll see what he's saying here, that they will, he will hear me, I will speak mouth to mouth, and they will see my shape. John 5, all right, all right? He says, it was a burning and shining light. You are willing for a season to rejoice in that light until there's some difficulty. I have greater works than that of John, all right? And he says, with the Father has given to me. The same works, bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. Now, look at what he said in verse 35. For the Father himself, which has sent me, was telling the Pharisees, has borne witness of me. You've never heard his what? Voice. And you have never done what? Seen his what? Shape. Now go to verse 39. He said, verse 39, you search the scriptures for in them. They knew the scriptures, but had never heard the voice of God. They knew what God had promised, but had never heard God speak clearly to them and say, this is the people that hear God on that level, they take what is written. 
You know, Jesus said somewhere, I don't know, I put it out there in Mark, I think it's Mark 4, all right, uh, 24, he said somewhere, he said, you know not the scriptures, not the power of God, which means there is the knowledge of the scriptures that you come to a place where you know the power of God. And it's when you get to that point where you start hearing the voice of God, and the only time you can hear it is when the bush is burning, but it's not consumed. Is when there's that thing there, you're not consumed by it, and you go to God in faithfulness and say, I've seen it in your word, all right? This might be the experience on the outside, but you're a true God. I bow before you right here in worship, and I worship you right here in spirit and in truth, and what God does is, Mark 12, 24, what God does is God begins, all right, to speak to that person. Mark 12, 24. Jesus answered and said, do ye not therefore, do ye not therefore err? Because you know not the scriptures. So that's one thing. And then he says, neither do you know the power of God. Now, when you get to that power of God, which is where you start hearing the voice of God, which you can read up in Psalm 29, what the voice of God will do, all right? So what is written is in scripture. What you hear is what God speaks to you. There's no scripture that tells you, arise, my son, and go to Abuja. There's no scripture like that. Are you following what I'm saying? There's no scripture, a friend of mine, all right, a classmate of mine, he, I think I've said this before, he went to Kenya with some senior colleague of ours, got there, and God clearly spoke to him and said, move, was in Ibadan, then move from Ibadan, I want you to start a work for me in Kenya. Don't take any preaching in this place, in any church, so that when you come back, they won't say that you used, all right? So they were giving him this friend, said, oh, you can go and share here. Opportunities to stand on people's stage and preach in Kenya. We went there. He said, no, he was turning everything down because he had heard the voice. Are you following saying here? What other people jump at? He had heard the voice. He went back, told his wife, they packed and they had nothing. And they moved to Kenya, all right, with their two little children, and when they arrived in Nairobi, there was somebody standing in the airport and walked up to him and said, it's your name, all right, Mr. Susan. So, yes. And he brought out word of dollars in an envelope. Said, God told me I should give this to you. He said, do you have anywhere to stay? He said, no. You come into our own apartment. We'll give you an apartment. You stay there until you are established. The church grew to become the largest church in Kenya. Diplomats were coming into the place. All kinds of people were coming into the place. The ambassador of America was coming into the place and all of that. He heard what? Voice. That voice he heard was because when he was in the battle, nothing was working, but he was still worshipping. All right? He was, an, he was an excellent keyboard player. All right? In fact, they used to call him a nickname, which had to do with the world. Excellent keyboard player. He built a band. When he invited me for the opening of the record, put this thing together, it was performance at the highest level. The record didn't sell. But even after that, he would lie flat and say, I worship you, God. So he wasn't singing, he was a worshiper. Where he went to, he was no longer singing, he now became a preacher. Are you following what I'm saying? Before he left for Kenya, he was certain. God called him to a music ministry, to develop a music ministry. As he stepped into Nairobi, God spoke to him. So what God is saying is if you are stiff-necked, which means this is what I'm saying. He said, look, you, you won't, we can't move, we can't work together. 
And that when you get into that place of crisis, all I'm saying to you is that don't harden your heart. You will hear my voice. If you come with thanksgiving, anytime I get with thanksgiving, come with praise because there's something that I want to do. The reason why you go into a crisis or a difficult situation or you go through the fire is the same reason he said, though you are tried, all right, which is much more peri- sorry, which is much more valuable than silver and gold that perishes there. All right. He says, though you be tried with fire. So, talking about silver and gold, when you put gold into a flame here, it's because the gold, let's say there's a bar like this that is solid, and you want to make a wristwatch out of it, you can't use that bar to make the wristwatch because it's solid. You put it into the fire there so it becomes liquid, so you can change the shape. So, once God looks at it and says, the trajectory of your life, this is where I want you to be. He says that the way you are, you can't hear anything, so let us soften you. He allows you to go through the fire there, so you're going to liquid. Do you get what I'm saying here? But if you harden your heart against that, then what happens is he wants to melt it like you melt wax so that you can reshape that particular thing. Now, if you harden your heart, then it becomes brittle, all right? And God says the only thing we can do is break it and you get consumed. So what he wants is you come there in worship and then he says we can now reshape you. In other words, any crisis means there's an adjustment coming into your life. There is a fresh grace coming you know nothing about. I hope you understand what I mean by fresh grace. All right? Fresh grace means you are saved definitely. I told them in the church in Abuja on Thursday. When I went to do faith seminar in London, I stood up and I took the prayer and I said, if I, ever, if, I ever, if I ever come to London and come and be open a church here, I'm not into churches. I said, don't come and listen to me preach again. I won't say that again in my life. Five years ago, if you ask me, will you ever open branch? I'll say, which branch? I don't do those kind of things. But once he takes you through the flame, yeah. Once he brought COVID and everybody was in the flame, he wanted to make adjustments. That's all. What makes it difficult and causes stress is that you're not yielding. When you resist, it bonds you. When you yield, it leads you. So it tells us Psalm 94. Quickly look at this. You know, it says, I swore they shall not enter into my rest. See what he said in Psalm 94, verse 12. Psalm 94 and verse 12. Blessed is the man whom the Lord chasteneth, all right? O Lord, blessed is that man whom thou chasteneth, O Lord, and teaches him out of thy law. Why? Verse 13. That he may give him rest from the days of adversity. Which means, he said, I swore in my wrath they would not enter into my rest. The reason is that they didn't allow God to teach them during that time. And when he starts teaching you during that time, it is God teaching you directly now. Taking scriptures and showing you things and teaching you. And you come to a place where you hear his voice. He teaches you. He shows you how the thing. He says, it's you that teacheth us to profit. It is you that will teach my hands to war so I can break a bow of steel steel with my hand. He will teach you. He's the one who taught the farmer how to farm. That's when God taught Jacob, all right? He will teach you how to do stuff. And then you begin to see that God actually Israel. So, Moses, therefore, God now called him up and said, all right, you can come in chapter 34, which is what 
I want to share, and he told him something. So he heard God's voice, all right? And that's what uh, David was saying. He said, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me. He said, my ear has thou opened. God taught him during that time. He said, my ear has thou opened, all right? Now, what we are doing when people get into crisis is that they want their preconceived ideas to come to pass, while God wants to adjust things. I've said this before. God will make you an offer you cannot refuse. God. If he makes you his offer, you cannot refuse. What you are calling your vision, if God presents his own, you will pack your vision aside. I'll tell you this last week. The deep places of the earth are in his hands. You are shouting, I want to I'll build this something. I'll build this something. I'll build here. I'll have my office here. Let one company in Silicon Valley make a call. We'll see you at the airport saying, <laughs> you will, you'll be, you'll, once, they, once God opens it and they open the thing, I said, well, you'll be working with this, we'll be working with this, and your office will be right next to Elon Musk. That's the end. <laughs> that, that, that. <laughs> you will start dancing, I didn't know, I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know it was this way. And that's what God is saying here. He said, if you will listen to my voice, he said, there's a grace I will bestow upon you. So in 34 verse 1, he told him this. All right? He told him to come up, all right, so that he could come and that there was something he wanted to tell him. The Lord said to Moses, hew three, sorry, hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first, and I will write upon these words that were in the first tables which thou broke. And be ready in the morning, and come up in the morning unto Mount Sinai, and present yourself there unto me at the top of the mountain. That's all he's saying you should do when you are going through any difficulty. Just come up to me, present yourself. There are certain things I want to tell you. And now we go to chapter, verse 10, sorry, verse 10 there, because of time. It says in verse 10, and he said, behold, I make a covenant. And this covenant is a personal agreement now he made with Moses. Before all thy people, I will do marvels. He said, I'm making a covenant with you, and I'm going to do marvels. Such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. And all the people among which thou art shall see the work of God, for it is a terrible thing that I will do with thee. In other words, during that time, you go to God in worship and God says, I will give you a covenant. And this agreement that I give to you here, if you keep it, now this is not, I mean, God can speak to you and say it's not applicable to any other person but you. Do you get what I'm saying here? And I will do marvels. This is what he tells you here. All right? Like nobody has ever seen on the earth here. And please, this is all he's telling you, is... When all these things that you're doing attract people, that's why it is, listen, the worst thing is to, you know, wrong theology is the worst thing that can happen to a person in this world. The wrong theology is the worst thing that can happen to a person. I said this during a workers' meeting. There was somebody in a state in, in America, and he was there in the snow and for a week, and, well, he died inside the snow. He was waiting for God to save him, and he died there in the snow. And by the time they found his body, he was just 100 years, years, 100, from a dry road that he could have walked on. 
but his theology said that I will sit here and pray and God is going to bring somebody to come and save me in this place. All right? Just one wrong theology about God. God had already made provision. Just walk 100 years and you're out of it. So when you have a wrong theology about God and you think that this way God is, and God's like that, you can waste decades. That's why he told me, he said, don't be many teachers. He said, don't be, he said, because you will receive greater condemnation. Because if you teach God's people wrongly, you and God. That's God, you and God. You are in, that's, it's not, uh, people say, I, want, um, I just want to stand on the pulpit, behind the pulpit. It is an, it is an enormous responsibility. Because you can destroy lives. And you can destroy people's lives forever. By the wrong concepts of God. So for someone to say that as a Christian, you're not supposed to go through anything, there's something wrong with you before you're going to do anything, simply means you're telling that person you will never hear the voice of God. And that's why when you tell a Christian that listens to me, based on our own prayers, you say as a pastor, you'll never go through anything, you are taking control of the soul of that person. Because what will happen is that that person will never walk through the valley of shadow of death and hear God themselves. So God told him in verse 10 and verse, now verse 11, observe thou which I command thee this day. He said, observe what I command thee. Behold, I drive out before thee the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Hittite, the uh, Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Now verse 17, what was the covenant? He says, thou shalt make no molten God. In other words, nobody else must be your source apart from me. That's first law with God. No matter where you are, nobody else must be your source apart from me. And God will honor that. So God uses people, but they are not your source. And when God wants to use a person as his channel, there is dignity and honor in it. In other words, if he tells Elijah to go and meet the woman, all right, right there, and she will feed thee, he says, because I've already commanded her. The minute Elijah got there, the woman already was under instruction from Elijah, and she acted according to that instruction, and she got more blessed than Elijah from Elijah eating. Do you get what we're saying here? It's not that like you go there and say, God told me to tell you, I didn't hear anything from God. I said, look, I'm telling you, uh, please, now, that's not God. God is not using that person. Uh, are you following what I'm saying? Okay. So, I told him that. Now, next verse here. The feast of the unleavened bread shall thou keep. So, he gave him first covenant here. Seven days shall thou eat unleavened bread as I've commanded in the time of the month of Abib. In the month of Abib, thou camest out of Egypt. Next verse. All that opened the matrix is mine. He said that. Every fossiling among the cattle, whether ox or sheep, male is mine. Verse 20. He says, but the firstling of the earth thou shalt redeem with the lamb. And he says, all the firstborn sons thou shalt redeem, and none shall appear before me empty. Verse 21. Six days shalt thou walk, on the seventh day thou shalt rest, and in erring time and in harvest shalt thou rest. Verse 22. Thou shalt observe the feast of weeks, of the first fruits of a week's harvest, and the feast of in-gathering at the end of the year. So he gave him 
Three feasts. That's what he said. Now, look at the next verse there. It says, three feasts he gave him there. Thrice a year. So there were three feasts. He said, if you keep these three feasts, he said, I will be able to do marvels among you. Now, you can say, well, I mean, it was a covenant he gave to him. It wasn't part of the Ten Commandments. So it was a covenant. Now, is it still in existence today? Yes, it is in existence. Why we say this, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7 to verse 9, Purge ye therefore the old leaven. There's a spiritual parallel to this feast today. That you may be a new lump. Yea, all right, you are unleavened. For Christ our Passover has sacrificed for us. Next verse, it says, Therefore let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, neither with the leaven, all right, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So the first thing God commands us is, listen, live a life that is free of malice and wickedness. We've taught this before, it is the commandment of love. I don't care what they did to you. Are you following what I'm saying here? I don't care what they did to you. Ah, you don't know how... Listen, if we can sit down here and be telling you stories of what people have done to us. But we can't be recounting those stories because we are not going to be reciting things that will... It's playing the victim card. Anyone that plays the victim card will lose out in life. We don't play the victim card. But we go through things. But we don't play the victim card. All right? Now come on, ah, come on, they said, ah, start playing the victim. All right? You lose out completely in life. So it says malice. Now, keep your heart free of malice. That's why it says love. All right? Do good unto them that hate you. We've thought this, we don't have to go fight. So it's keeping yourself free of malice. Malice is the desire, just an innate, it's not carried out, but it's an innate desire inside you for something to go wrong in the life of somebody else because of something, all right, which means it's a desire to harm, to you to actually harm or hurt that particular individual. It's what is called ill will. And the only way you can overcome that is in prayer, praying upon that person there by name or by faith and asking God, all right, to bless that particular person. Wickedness is when you actually carry out, all right, it's not just malicious now, it means you are implementing something. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 12, it says, don't be of that wicked one who was Cain, all right, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one that slew his brother, wherefore he slew him because his own works were evil and his own brother's works were good. In other words, don't allow, all right, the enemy to push you to the point where you execute things that will hurt and harm, all right, somebody else as a result, okay, of that. Now, the second phase is what is called, so one, you're working in love. It's a decision that you have made. It is an unconquerable spirit of benevolence. It is good will, all right, towards others, regardless. Now, that if, if you have that attitude, it is a policy of life. Something, it's not an emotion. You don't feel sometimes like doing it, but it's a policy that you have had. If there is a judge and the Lord states clearly, 
that if a person does this and does this and does this, this is the penalty for that person. The judge might sit there and you might have that particular person who is, all right, maybe connected to them, a friend's child or something or or somebody they knew somewhere, all right? They don't feel like sending that person to jail, but it is the policy to send that person. There's nothing they can do. They follow the rule of the law. I've seen somebody sentence somebody, and the minute they sentenced that person, they came down, all right, in America and hugged the person, gave the person a Bible and said, I know you're a Christian. Listen, I held the person, but the judgment is the judgment. So it doesn't matter how I feel about that person, I will speak well of this particular person. Are you following what I'm saying? You, you crucify your flesh, which is the feeling, and pray for that person. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 28 tells us, they kept the Passover and the blood of what? Sprinkling. Now the truth about the matter is this. This is the truth. We actually think that the blood is just for, and it's a mistake we are making in our teachings to people. It's not right. That the blood really works when you disobey God. The blood really, really works when you obey God. Because before they sprinkled the blood, they had to eat the Passover. Isn't that what it says? Then they sprinkled the blood. They had to eat the Passover. Eating the Passover means that seven days we've talked about the fact that there's no leaven. The blood will, and we're not getting the benefits of the blood because we're looking at it as a defensive weapon instead of an offensive thing. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 2 talks about this. He says, uh, by the sanctification of the Spirit. First Peter 1, 2. He says, through the foreknowledge of the Father, sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. In other words, when people are walking in obedience, and what is that obedience? Is that obedience to that commandment of love. In other words, if you forgive, then you also, all right, will be forgiven. That's the blood. The effect of the blood will be seen upon your life when you as a person, you are walking in forgiveness. So one. The second is how you give and what you give. But other than the feast of weeks here is when a person gives, all right, to God. And it tells us in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 9, it says, honor the Lord with your substance and with the first fruits of your increase. So shall thy bands be filled with plenty and your wine presses. So it is honoring God with your substance. And I urge people that, listen, pray to God, go to God and pray. Because in Deuteronomy chapter 16 and verse 10, when he was talking about this feast of weeks here, Deuteronomy chapter 16, he says, Thou shalt keep the feast of weeks unto the Lord with a tribute of a free will offering of thy hand, which thou shalt give. In other words, it is a free will, which is not, is something as Paul said, I think in 1 Corinthians 16 too. He said, as the Lord has prospered you, in other words, it is what you as a person, upon the first day of the week, let everyone lay by him in store as the Lord has prospered. So it's not something that is induced or something that is forced upon you out of compulsion, but you as an individual. And the first fruits there, when it says the feast of week, means there are signs inside your life. God, first of all, begins to show the signs. Just like Joseph, he says, look, there were signs in Joseph when he was in Potiphar's house. When he was in, uh, in prison, there were signs of who Joseph really was. It wasn't the full-blown thing when he became prime minister, so to speak, and minister of budget and, and uh, the economy of, of Egypt. But there were signs already. 
And when there are those signs in your life, God says, look, be faithful, all right, in your righteous mammon. So pray unto God. I urge people, particularly in this season here, and decide what am I going to be giving to God and how am I going to give? What, 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 how will God have me give to him? And go to him in prayer and ask him, all right, to reveal to you what, how, and what, all right, you should be giving to him at this particular stage of your life where you are. Then the third feast, which we find in John chapter 7, is called the Feast of Ingathering, and verse 37, Jesus described that feast as, who every man, if, on the last day of that great day of that feast, this is the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus told us the spiritual parable of this, if any man first, let him come to me and drink, he that believeth on me, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And that drinking there is your thirst, you go to him, which we have described. Teach me your way, and God begins to teach you things in Scripture. You start hearing his voice. And he wants you to respond to him and in spiritual sacrifices that you offer up, which is psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs that you offer up to him. And this is what brings the ingathering into your life. In fact, this feast is predominantly about heavy productivity from the labor of your hands. That's what really the feast is about. In other words, there will be an unusual inflow into your life where you are offering up songs there. You know, God told me, he said, you see, when I tell you to give fiscally, I'm not the direct beneficiary of it. You give to people, you give to this. I'm not the one. He said, but what I actually take from people that comes directly into my heart is the songs that come from the heart of people as they worship me, all right, and sing. But those words there must come from a tongue that doesn't curse men because you can't with one mouth bless God and the same mouth curse men. That's why the feast of the unleavened bread is important. Without that one, even giving is destroyed. For he says, if I give to the, all my goods to the poor and I have not love, I am nothing. If there's malice inside your heart towards a person, he says, and you put your gift on the altar, he said, take the gift away from the altar. It will count for nothing. He says, first of all, go and get reconciled. In other words, there should be no malice in your own heart. All right, okay? Or weak, any form of wickedness inside you is the first one. On that, you have the giving. Then on that, it now says you have the spiritual songs. And I'll close with Second Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 5. All right, this is what happened. Second Chronicles 20 and verse 5. I just had stood in the Second Chronicles 20, I'm sorry, and verse 25, sorry, and verse 25. This is the ingathering. And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the spoil of them, they found among them in abundance both riches with dead bodies and precious jewels, which they stripped for themselves more than they could carry away. And they were three days in gathering, as a feast of in gathering of the spoil, for it was so much. Okay? So there were signs, all right, and then the harvest now came. And what triggered that harvest there? In verse 22, it tells us that what triggered the ingathering. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord sent ambushments here. So it's as they began to sing and to praise. And God told uh, Jerusalem, he said, I will soon have gathered. I will soon have gathered. He said, but you didn't sing unto me. You didn't praise me. You didn't worship me. I will have gathered together. All right? 
uh, Isaiah 49, verse 13, it says, sing, all right, and rejoice. Isaiah 49, they said, ah, the Lord has forsaken us. You mountains, comfort, I will have mercy upon him. He said, but Zion said, the Lord has forsaken. Verse 16, he now tells us, verse 16, behold, I've aggrieved you. Verse 17, he says this, thy children shall make haste, and the destroyers that made the way shall go forth. Verse 18, it says, lift up your eyes, and behold, all these do what? Gather. But for that in gathering to happen there, there has to be the song, all right, that is coming out. So that feast of in gathering there is somebody who is, is a worshiper. In other words, it's a people that worship, that praise God, that give him thanks, that sing and worship unto him. And those are the three solid pillars that must be in your own life as a person, all right, for God to be able. That's the covenant that God gave to Moses. And he said it extends, all right, to all generations. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for your word. By the power of your spirit, I ask that this truth be established inside our hearts to transform our lives and to bring us into a position where signs, wonders, diverse miracles shall occur within our lives in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, I want to quickly do an anointed impartation. And while I was worshiping, God showed me this. And it's based, let me quickly read it. And this is so crucial. Uh, please, all the ushers have the, um, oh, you? You have your anointing on you? No. So, ushers, please. Uh, all right, let me just read this. All right, put up ex, um, Esther chapter 3, quickly, verse 8 to verse 15. All right, we'll read the scripture. Now, this is so, so important. The book of Esther is the only book in the Bible where the name of God is not mentioned. Everything there is typology. All right? So it speaks about God. It speaks about the church, about Satan. So Haman is a type of Satan, and you see. Mordecai is a type of the Holy Spirit. Esther is the type of the church. Vashti, the first wife, is a type of Israel. And the king, all right, is a type of Jesus. Now, look at what happened here. And you see in a court, well, you have to study this to get there. Now, Haman said unto king Ahasuerus, which was the king, there's, there's certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all provinces of thy kingdom, and their laws. Now, the anointing is for a reversal. And I want to show what I want to call the reversal. It's an anointing for a reversal. Now, this is very important. And he showed me, he said, and while I was praying over the church, he said, the people need to be anointed for a reversal. Now, see what happened here. All right? And neither keep they the king's law. Therefore, it is not for the king's profit that we should suffer them. All right? So if it please the king, let it be written that they may be what? Destroyed. And I'll pay 10,000 talents of silver, all right, to the hands of those who have the charge of this business to bring it to the king's treasury. Verse 10, and the king took his ring off from his hand and gave it to Haman, the son of the um, Hamadatha, the Agagite, the Jews' enemy. Verse 11, and the king said, the silver is given unto the people also to do with them as it seemeth good unto thee. Remember what God told Satan when he was coming up after Job. Now, put, keep it in the scriptures. Then the king's scribes called on the, now note that, the 13th day of the first month, and there was written according to all that Haman had commanded unto the king's lieutenant and the governors that were every province, and to the rulers and every province according to the writing thereof, every people, all right, in the name. It was written and sealed with the king's seal. Verse 13. And the letters were sent by post into all the king's provinces. Remember, Satan is to steal, to kill, and to do what? Destroy. He says to destroy, to kill, and to cause to perish. 
all Jews, both young men, little children, women, in one day, even the 13th day of the 12th month of the month of Ada to take them by spoil for a prey. In other words, there was a satanic assignment set for a certain day on the calendar. So it's like saying that on the 12th of December is when what we have planned here in the realm of the spirit will manifest in the lives of these people and they'll be killed, they'll be destroyed. That's exactly the kind of thing that happened. So it was a satanic assignment set for a particular date on the calendar. Do you get what I'm saying here? Now, what Esther, that's what Mordecai told Esther, you have to go into the innermost court. Because Haman went into the outer court to get this. So you, have, you can go in and reverse this. Now look at the reversal. Because of time, let us go there quickly. In chapter 8, verse 1, you'll see what now happened. So Esther went in. And on that day, the king Azaz gave to the house of Haman, the Jews' enemy unto Esther the queen. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told what had told what he was unto her. Verse 2. And the king took off his ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther sent Mordecai over the house of Haman. Now, Haman was dead at this point, but those letters were still in effect. And Esther spoke yet against before the king, and fell down his feet and besought him with tears. Put away the mischief of Haman, the Agagite, and his device that he had devised against the Jews. Verse 4. The king held out his golden scepter towards Esther, so Esther arose and stood before the king. Now, whatever okay, said, and said, if it please the king, if I found favor in thy sight, this, and this thing seems right to the king, and be pleasing to her the eyes, let it be written to reverse. Haman was dead at this time, but we have to reverse because he's hanging in the spirit realm as an assignment. To reverse, so I'm saying, the letters devised by Haman, the son of the, uh, Hamad, the, data, the Agagite, which he wrote to destroy the Jews in all the king's provinces. Verse 6, how can I endure to see evil come on my people, or how can I endure to see destruction of my kindred? Verse 7, and the king, all right, said to Mordecai, Do you behold, I've given Esther uh, the house of Haman, and him I've hanged upon the gallows, because he had laid his hand upon the Jews. Verse 8, write ye also for the Jews, as it liketh you in the king's name, and seal it with the king's ring. For the writing which is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's ring may no man reverse. Verse I. Then there were the king's scribes called at the time in the third month, the month of Sovat, on all right, the third and twentieth day thereof. It was written according to Mordecai's commandment to the Jews and to the lieutenants and the deputies and rulers of provinces, which are from India to Ethiopia, a hundred and all of them, all right, to the Jews according to the writing, according to the language. Verse 10. He says, and he wrote in Ahasuerus' name and sealed it with the king's ring and sent the letters by post on horseback, riders on mules, camels, young, all right, dromedaries, wherein the king granted the Jews in every city to gather themselves together to stand for their life, hear this, to destroy, to slay, to cause, to perish all the power of the people and province that will assault them. It didn't stop the assault, but they were given power to destroy it. Look at what he says. And to take the spoil of them for a prey. You will see the date now. Verse 12. And the copy was written that the Jews should be ready against that day to avenge themselves on their enemies. Verse 14. So the post and camels by the king's commandment and decree was given to Shudan Paras. Verse 15. It says, And Mordecai went from the presence of the king with royal apparel and all of that. Verse 16. It tells us, The Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. Verse 17. And in every province, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, the Jews had joy, gladness, a feast, and a good day. And many people of the land became Jews, for the fear of the Jews fell upon them. Next verse. Uh, now, in the twelfth month, that is the month of Adar, the thirteenth day, 
Can you see that day? The same day when the king's commandment and his decree drew near to be put into execution, the day Haman said it had to be the day it was going to be reversed. Are you following what I'm saying here? Which means in the spirit realm, there can be an evil day set over the life of a person. That they can say it is on the 24th of December, the attack is coming. When we reverse it, we empower it that on that day, instead of experiencing defeat, you experience victory. Do you get what I'm saying here? So this reversal is on any satanic assignment over anybody's life here. And over any member of your family, that on that day, what was meant for evil shall turn out for good. That is the anointing of reversal. You get what I'm doing here? So I'll make short pronouncements here as I put the anointing oil on her forehead here. That on the set day, but understand, when that evil day comes, stand. Remember, you have been anointed to reverse it. Do you get what I'm saying? To break that power. So when it shows up, stand up and say, I have the grace right here to reverse this particular thing. All right? We don't know the date that has been set. But the day the evil day comes, stand. Are you following what I'm saying? Here? It's in prayer I saw it. So it means that God intends, all right, to checkmate something Satan wants to do. Let's rise off it. Take it right here. All right? And... Um, I've said since you don't have a bottle here, but you should have gone home if you have family members and anoint all of them. Are you following what I'm saying here? And these same utterances that I say out of my mouth when you go home, anoint them and repeat it as I've said it. We, we, everything is free of charge, you can download it. So just get it and say the same thing over them. All right? Just place the oil on your forehead. Father, I declare over the lives of every single person under the sound of my voice, according to the instruction that I received from you in the place of prayer, for a reversal of every and any satanic assignment that has been hatched against anyone under the sound of my voice, to either still on a set day, kill on a set day or destroy on a set day, affect their business, careers, families, marriage, children, their progress on this earth. That date has been marked in the realm of the spirit and we sanctify that day today as a day of joy, as a day of victory, and as a day of divine promotion. We call this set date by another name that we have been sanctified this moment and we declare by the impartation of this anointing. On that set date, every single person under the sound of my voice shall escape death, shall escape destruction, and shall escape theft. No evil shall come near your dwelling place. At the sight and the appearance of the evil, as you open up your mouth, the words that are given to you by the Spirit of God, as you say them into that situation, so shall it be upon it. Judgment is granted to your tongue today. 
to declare the life that shall be made manifest on that set day. You are released into complete victory. I declare through the shed blood of Jesus, every lawful captive is set free. And anyone that has been taken prey by the mighty, you are delivered this moment in the name of Jesus Christ. I decree in the name of Jesus, it is a day of your promotion. It is the day of your enlargement. And it's the day of your rejoicing in the mighty name of Jesus. God bless you.